Hello everybody. Welcome to the podcast Ukraine War Decoded. I am a Ukrainian-American journalist Viktor Kovalenko from the United States. My podcast is about the Russian war against Ukraine and security in Europe. Today I have a knowledgeable guest from Ukraine who worked in the Ukrainian government. His name is Alexander Scherba. He is a career Ukrainian diplomat and served as an ambassador of Ukraine to Austria. We are going to talk with Alexander about what people in Ukraine think about the Western help in their fight against Russia. Mr. Scherba, welcome to my podcast. Thank you so much. I have many questions to you, but let me ask them in a chronological order so the audience will understand the context. First, my question is about the times before the war and the book that you wrote about your years in Germany, Austria and the United States. The book is called Ukraine vs. Darkness and is available on Amazon. I will quote one piece. You wrote, at some point the US and the EU will have to face the bitter truth. Russia chose to confront the West. It had other options, plenty of them, yet it chose a covert global face-off instead of a win-win world. It decided on a strategy to undermine the West wherever it can. There is nothing that the West can do to change this decision. It can either push back or look away as Russia pushes on. The end of the quote. Why did you decide to write this book? It was uh, an interesting and long story. At some point in 2008, I was approached by one of the central newspapers in Ukraine to start writing about the uh, American elections, about American foreign policy. And uh, I became their, so to say, American uh, pundit. I started writing articles. I have been writing for quite a while, first about foreign policy, then foreign policy, including Germany and Europe, and then uh, about uh, domestic issues. So, uh, I became a kind of half diplomat, half journalist in Ukraine. Thank God it's possible. And then at some point, the publishing house in Germany approached me and said, you have this book of essays uh, that was published in uh, 2019 and that was elected one of the uh, books of the year. Uh, why don't you translate it into English? And it was already at the beginning of the pandemic time when I had more uh, free time on my hands. I started translating and I didn't like uh, the translation. I started rewriting because uh, it's one thing that read it in Ukrainian and then uh, in English it sounded outdated for some reason. So I, I started rewriting and then I added one chapter, another, another, five, six chapters. And it turned out to be a completely new book called, titled uh, Ukraine versus Darkness, partly based on my essays uh, that I started writing in 2008, partly a completely new uh, material. Of course, it's all pre-war, but I think uh, if you read it, you will, you will find the expectation of something big and ominous coming upon us uh, in that book. As far as I know, many political researchers in the West didn't believe that Russia will invade, in part because there was no deep understanding of modern Russia among them. So in your book you tried to explain Russia through the Ukrainian context, right? 
I formulated in the beginning of my book that my first purpose is explaining Ukraine to the West and West to Ukraine, because there are still lots of misconceptions between us. But doing that, inevitably, you start, you know, speaking about Russia. And there is one of the chapters is completely about Russia. It's called Ukraine and Russia, what went wrong. And it's from the viewpoint of a bilingual person like myself, who considers Ukrainian and Russian as mother tongues, and who never was an enemy of Russia before uh, Russia decided to be an enemy of Ukraine. Alexander, you was a speechwriter for many Ukrainian foreign ministers. But I think that one of the most impressive speeches that you wrote is the address of the Ukrainian President Petro Poroshenko before the US Congress on September 18, 2014. That was the tough moment of the first Russian invasion, when the invaders entered Ukraine and murdered more than 500 Ukrainian soldiers near Ilovaisk city in the Donbass. At that time, I was enlisted into the Ukrainian military to defend Ukraine, and I remember that soldiers desperately expected help, and specifically weapons, from the West. What memories do you have about that period, and why didn't the West help at that time? The West uh, cultivated uh, an illusion for decades, the illusion that everything is, is uh, resolvable through diplomacy, through the goodwill. Once you embrace Russia, once you embrace darkness, and Russia became darkness at some certain point, you will make this darkness somehow lighter. But it didn't work that way. I uh, think that if uh, 1776, uh, the moment of uh, American Revolution, was the high point of uh, American courage, or the Western courage, 2014 was the low point of the Western courage, when Ukraine was basically taken apart, attacked, badmouthed, invaded by Russia in Crimea, in Donbass, and the West chose to look the other way. And the West was debating whether one should supply Ukraine with little weapons to defend herself, which I think right now it looks like a message from different reality. Uh, thank God. But back then, just imagine how backwards this whole situation is when Ukraine is being punished for being the partner of America, the partner of the West, among other things. And the West is considering whether to help Ukraine defend herself. I remember when this speech was read, it was met very enthusiastically in the United States, in the Congress, in Ukraine especially. But behind the scenes, many Americans were unhappy with the speech because, as I understand, there was an agreement that Poroshenko wouldn't talk about little weapons. And he talked about it and he said this phrase that went viral, you cannot win war with blankets. And I think it, he was right saying that, but it's still incomprehensible to me that American government or someone in the American government would be saying, you know what, don't go there. Amid the time when Ukraine was bleeding, right after Ilovaisk, right after all these, you know, absolutely traumatic horrors that poured upon us. Thank God that ever since America and the West finally embraced the path of courage, not the path of cowardness. Recently, on August 15, you published an article on the leading Ukrainian news website, The Mirror of the Week, where you call the United States to correct policy mistakes regarding Ukraine. Here is one quote in my translation. Many generations of Western politicians and experts developed the toothless policy regarding Ukraine. Nobody believed in Ukraine, nobody understood Ukraine, and most importantly, nobody knew what to do with Ukraine. The end of the quote. Please elaborate on those policy mistakes. The next sentence of that quote is, 
Of course, not only the West is to blame, but Ukraine too, because Ukraine didn't believe in herself. Ukraine didn't know what to do with her statehood. So we are not blameless here. And you are Ukrainian, you know Ukrainians. There is nothing in the world we like to talk more than about our own sins and sins about our nation, our people. But I think we shouldn't be afraid to say quite openly to the face of our American partners, well, Western partners in the European Union, what horrendous, horrible mistakes were made uh, throughout these 30 years. And I think one of them I mentioned, 2014 was completely toothless on the part of the West. 2014 was a missed opportunity to stop Putin or at least to give Putin the feeling that there will be dire consequences to pursuing this aggression in Europe. And it didn't happen. So this is a terrible mistake. Quite frankly, of course, it all began with the famous uh, Chicken Kiev speech uh, by George Bush Sr., where uh, a couple of weeks before Ukraine proclaiming independence, he urged us not to proclaim independence. Then it went through basically disarming Ukraine and forcing Ukraine to give tactical and strategic weapons to Russia. With many of those, we are being bombarded right now. A mistake was to sign the Budapest Memorandum in the form that uh, it was signed, basically giving assurances, but not strict conditions and guarantees. The mistake was, I was in Washington 2004-2008. I saw that Washington wasn't happy about the 2004 Ukraine sliding towards autocracy and towards this Belarusian way of history. But people, especially in the autumn of 2004, I saw people made their peace with Ukraine sliding down that rabbit's hole. So it was mistake after mistake after mistake, and one should be aware of that. And the most important conclusion, and I want to emphasize, it's my conclusion, but it's the point of a brilliant essay that was published by Alexander Wittmann in Foreign Policy last week, that instead of Russia-centric policy in the region, America and Europe and the EU needs a Ukraine-centric policy in this region, because Ukraine is the place where history is made, and Russia is the place where history is taking a very, very ugly turn. And Ukraine is the only leverage to prevent it. As far as I know, since the war started, President Zelensky directed all Ukrainian ambassadors to actively ask the Western governments for military help, including heavy and long-range weapon systems. But not every country helps the same actively, like the UK, the US, Poland and Baltic countries. Germany, for example, is slow, over-cautious, and faces criticism for that. You worked as a diplomat in Germany. What is your opinion about the help from Berlin? I told you that the West was cultivating weakness for the last two decades, I think, at least. And it's valid for America, but it's much more valid for a country like Germany. Germany embarked on an absolutely disastrous course towards Russia, embracing Russia from uh, friendships through trade. Wandel durch Handel, it's translated transition through trade. So they were hoping that because of these projects like Nord Stream, one, Nord Stream 2, Russia would somehow transform and become a better country. In reality, through these projects, the West became a worse place, less principled place. So it was other way around uh, the influence. I love Germany. You know, for a diplomat, first foreign assignment is like first love. 
absolutely unforgettable. And my wife and I, when we came back from Germany in, in the year 2000 and 2003, we were deciding where to go next. So I had to force my wife to go to America because for her, the best place on the globe was Germany. Uh, we loved that place. And of course, in 2008, when we were leaving America, she was crying because she fell in love with the United States too. Uh, right now, I look at Germany uh, and I don't recognize that country, quite frankly. Uh, it lost something very important. It's lost some of its principles. It lost some of its moral core. I remember Germany as the advocate of smaller countries in uh, Europe's neighborhood. I remember Germany as a strategic partner of Ukraine, even under uh, Chancellor uh, Erhard Schröder. And then the time came when it became only Russia, Russia, Russia. Right now, I think Germany has an absolutely incredible, brilliant ambassador in Kiev, Anka Feldhusen, and we speak to each other quite frequently. And sh these conversations give me hope that the political thinking, the military thinking in Berlin is moving in the right direction. Of course, we are a little bit upset that it's not happening fast enough, but it's moving in the right direction. So I do hope that at some point I will start to recognize Germany again. Recently, the Washington Post published a quite critical article that the U.S. warned the government of President Zelensky about the coming Russian invasion, but the official Kiev didn't prepare properly. The current Foreign Minister Kuleba responded that it happened because the West didn't provide the details. And President Zelensky replied that he didn't want to create panic in the country that could make everything worse. This is not the first time that we hear the same critical message from Washington. We warned, but Ukraine rejected our warnings. What is your opinion about all of this? Well, I can speak as someone who didn't believe in this invasion either, despite all the warnings, despite everything, just because we Ukrainians, many of us at least, understood how self-destructive a war like that would be for Russia. We understood that the simple truth that you can conquer an army, you can conquer a government, but you cannot conquer people who hate you. And Ukraine hates Putin, uh, hated Putin before the war. And ever since the war started, it hates Russia. You know, before the uh, war started, 48% uh, of Ukrainians, according to statistics, still saw Russia as a brotherly country. Right now it's 11%. So the shift is there, but it wasn't there at the right time before the war started. And I agree with the criticism. One of the reasons why I didn't believe in the war, because I couldn't comprehend how deep Russia sunk as a nation in these two decades. I was claiming to the last day that this would be the most unpopular war uh, in Russia's history because it would be a war with people with the same last names, with relatives across the border, with, you know, phone conversations, with so many ties that connected these two countries. And I was wrong. Because if you feed people nothing but militarism and imperialism for two decades, it makes terrible things to human psyche. Hitler had how many? Uh, six years to feed Germans these two things. Putin had two decades at his disposal. And right now, when we see what Russians say, what they think, what they do, the similarities between what they are doing, thinking and saying right now and what Germans were doing, thinking and saying 81 years ago are absolutely horrifying. So, again, coming back to your question, we were counting that Russia was more rational than it is. 
we were thinking that Russia was more moral than it is. And that was the mistake. And uh, I am not the one to blame my president for that because I did the same mistake. Alexander, last year you joined the largest Ukrainian state gas and oil supplier Naftogaz as an advisor in international cooperation. So I have a question about the prospects of the cold winter in Europe that Russia will most likely create. For a long time Moscow weaponizes the gas supplies as leverage. But is Europe able to get rid of such leverage and stop buying Russian natural gas? Well, you, you should be very, very strong and very, very dedicated to do uh, such a move. And I don't see this strength and dedication in Europe right now to cut it cold turkey, so to say. Because as uh, I'm told uh, in Austria and Germany, um, you know, factories would stop, uh, the whole uh, branches of industry would stop. The dependence on Russian gas became so critical in these last 10 years that um, they are saying it's not doable. I'm saying it's doable if you are ready to suffer a fraction of what Ukraine is suffering. But uh, again, uh, we are judging, we Ukrainians are judging from our own perspective. Europe is judging from its own perspective. And I think we should be thankful to Europe for, you know, moving in the right direction. Uh, Germany is building these, you know, LNG terminals uh, with record speed. I see Austrian president using the most popular music festival in Austria, Bregenz Music Festival, speaking about political matters, about how necessary it is to get ready for whatever comes our way, Europe's way from Russia, and that no way Austria can be dependent on this blood smear dictator. It's all the right signals. And yes, we are frustrated that it's not happening too fast enough. But uh, we should be realist and we should understand that Europe will survive this winter. Uh, no question about that. The big question is about Ukraine. And Ukraine is ready for the winter, will be ready for the winter. My prediction is, of course, we will be uh, freezing in our apartments. The temperature will be drastically lowered in our apartments and our homes. But most importantly, of course, if Russia starts you know, bombarding our uh, power plants, our heating infrastructure. The situation uh, can deteriorate. People understand that people are buying, you know, these uh, diesel generators. People are buying uh, these so-called burzhuikas, the ovens to heat homes uh, with wood. It will be a very, very difficult winter, but uh, we Ukrainians are tough cookies and Europe is toughening up. So we will survive. The war between Russia and Ukraine will end sooner or later. President Putin will eventually go as well. But will it be possible for the world to return to business as usual with Russia? I hope not. I hope not. Quite frankly, the shock of this war was tremendous, deep. And it wasn't only because of the atrocities that were inflicted on Ukraine. It was, among other things, because many, many Europeans felt betrayed by Russia. No matter what Russia did in the last years, gave Russia the benefit of the doubt. And to see Russia misusing this benefit of the doubt, I think it will leave scars in the memory and in the hearts of many Europeans. So weakness on the part of certain you know, businesses who will be seeking easy money in Russia again, Maybe, but return in mass to business as usual, I can't imagine this. And again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I'm underestimating uh, Europe uh, the way I underestimated uh, Russia before this war. 
But I believe that collective West still has this conscience and these values and whatever went asleep in the Western souls uh, woke up because of what happened in Ukraine. Alexander, what is your opinion as a diplomat about introducing a visa ban for the Russians visiting the European Union? More European countries are joining this recent initiative. You know, uh, I have many friends, uh, refugees, uh, who live in Vienna now, and they see big, big number of Russian tourist groups strolling through Vienna downtown and enjoying life. And I don't think there is anything more unfair in life than these Ukrainians seeing these Russians enjoying life while their president is doing this absolute atrocity on Ukraine in their name, with their silent approval. So I think closing visas for one year and for a limited time, not all visas, of course, but tourist visas, I think it would be fair. But again, I'm saying as a Ukrainian and people who are absolutely opposed uh, to Putin, people who are Russian opposition, they are warning that this would only consolidate Putin's support in Russia. And one should listen to them too before making this decision. So I'm just saying what's on my mind, but one should also listen to what Shenderovich says, what uh, Boris Akunin says, what Khodorkovsky says. At this moment, I would like to end this episode of the podcast Ukraine War Decoded. My name is Viktor Kovalenko, and my guest today was a career diplomat from Ukraine, Alexander Scherba. I recommend to buy his recent book, Ukraine vs. Darkness. It is available on Amazon. Don't forget to support this podcast by donating to my PayPal or subscribing to monthly donations through the Anchor website. I say goodbye and so long.